Alright, this is Gary Parrish again from CBS Sports, and this is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me, I got Sam Bassini with me. It's Friday, uh, February 5th, and we have breaking news on this Friday. Kentucky uh, now has a new secondary logo, and UK fans uh, seem to hate it more than they hate Billy Gillespie and Christian Leitner combined. Norlander, you posted about this over at (laughs) CBSSports.com. Have I assessed it properly? Do Kentucky fans hate their new logo uh, more than they hate Billy Gillespie and Christian Leitner combined? Well, it's funny is we literally had to postpone recording this podcast because, one, it's anything Kentucky we put on the site is going to get traffic. And so because Kentucky puts this logo out, we had to we had to get it up. The podcast had to wait. It is it's a weird, weird logo. Okay, it looks you know it kind of is a Kansas State Thundercats Chicago State Houston combo. It doesn't make me think Kentucky Wildcats when I look at it. But then again, you know, change is hard for a lot of us. Uh, what I actually think should be pretty interesting is to see if Kentucky fans, if the backlash is so persistent that Kentucky like slowly just like abandons us within a year. It wouldn't shock me if something like that happens. It, and what's also kind of crazy, uh, and I know we're going to have like a shorter podcast today, but so we don't have to get too deep into this, but the amount of time meetings, money that go into these brand concepts. And this isn't just with college athletics. I mean, this is every major company across the world, basically. Just uh, some of it, you know, it's just massive amounts of money is just poured into this stuff. And and sometimes it's all for naught. So I'd love to know really how much went into this for Kentucky, because on its surface, it seems like just a massive bust right off the top. I read somewhere on Twitter, which means it may or may not be true, that um, Kentucky actually explained that in their new uniforms, all of the collars will be blue to represent the blue collar mentality of Kentucky. Is that true or false, Norlander? Listen, I don't have. <laughs> I hope it's true, because that's hilarious. You know what? I bet you it is true. And the thing is, like, people get into a room and they say these things. And they're like, "Yeah, that'd be great. Let's get that. In, let's get that in the second graph of the release. That's gonna. That's really gonna hammer home our fan base. Is really gonna appreciate that kind of stuff. So bizarre. Wouldn't <laughs> shock me if it's remotely true. And you know, Kentucky did a whole rollout for all of us athletic programs and whatnot but Kentucky really it's it's got much bigger issues than just that right now because you know I mean right now the team is fouling and front court scoring would be two of the bigger ones I would think it's it's bizarre man although I will say just given what with and we listen we don't have to go all into this because we've done it on a few podcasts but given what Cal has done in March it will be hard for me to discount Kentucky as a second weekend team, regardless of how they enter the tournament, simply because I've seen so many of his teams, even that eight seed team, which really started to crest, do so well in March. And, you know, it's it's become a, a very weird group. Um, but I think that they can and still will turn it around to a certain degree. I don't think they're going to completely you know, fall through the floor here. Here's what I said on a radio show earlier this week. I, even after they lost at Tennessee, you know, before they lost at Tennessee, they seemed to be rolling a little bit. They'd won at Arkansas. They had beaten Vanderbilt. They'd beaten the crap out of Missouri. Played Kansas to OT um, at Allen Fieldhouse. Um, they seemed like they had maybe flipped a switch, and then they go lose t- at Tennessee, which is obviously uh, not good. 
uh, I still think just based on the landscape of college basketball, uh, point being nobody's that great, um, and and the talent on the Kentucky roster relative to most people's talent, they're dangerous until they're eliminated. Like I, I won't I won't be dismissive of them as a Final Four caliber team until they are eliminated from the bracket because I almost don't care who you are. Um, when you have to play them in that bracket, you're going to look across the court and go, you know what? They got better dudes than we got. I mean, almost like maybe without exception, but but almost like with with very rare exception, you're going to like maybe Maryland can look across the court and say, yeah, mm-hmm. they, they don't have better dudes than us. And maybe Carolina can do it. Maybe. I don't know. But like not many teams, not many teams are going to be able to look across the court and go, oh, we, we might be outmanned here. We might have a better team, but they they probably have better players. So until they're. Um, until they're no longer in the bracket, I, I'm going to consider them a, a, a possibility to, you know, to go all the way to the Final Four and maybe maybe even do the whole thing. I mean, we've that's that's the other thing. It wouldn't be unprecedented. We've seen two very mediocre regular season Kentucky teams in recent years end up in the Final Four, right? We yeah, have, yeah. Uh, go ahead, Sam. I'll say this: uh, I don't know how talented Kentucky's front court is necessarily. I mean, we know that Scal has future talent and sure. future value at this point, but you know, he still can't rebound. He can't really play without fouling. He's averaging seven fouls per 40 minutes. Um, Marcus Lee also can't really play right now because he can't play without fouling. Um, and he's just not as much of a presence inside as he was early in the season. He's been pretty rough for the last month and a half or so. Um, Alex Poitras is, you know, hit or miss depending on, what the referees kind of allow him to do. If he gets in foul trouble, he kind of shuts down a little bit. It seems like Uh, that first half against Kentucky, he was dominant. Like there was no better player on the floor including Tyler Eulis and Jamal Murray. But then he picked up that second foul and his mentality totally went away. If he's attacking, he's a good player. And then Derek Willis is Derek Willis. He's a nice floor stretcher, but he's not anything special. I mean, we kind of have to, you know, reassess where we are with Kentucky's front court at a certain point. I get that, you know, Jamal Murray and Tyler Eulis are incredibly talented. They might be the best backcourt in the country, but this front court needs a lot of work. Yeah, I agree completely. But like, I I guess I would counter argue. And let me be clear. I'm not like making the case for Kentucky. Like if you made me fill out a bracket today, I'm not going to have them in my final four. But like, even if their front court needs some work, like, how many front courts are obviously better? You know, like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, listen, it's not good, but I, 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 I mean, like for this season, I would take Iowa's like, okay. I would take Utah and Adam Woodbury. I, I think, agree. With Carolina. Like, yeah, uh, there are probably Purdue. like, I would say there are probably like 20. Okay. Like I'll, Chris I'll, Boucher and Elgin cook in Oregon. Okay. That's fine. I'll accept that. But here's, here's, I guess here's what I would say then. Top five backcourt, top 20 frontcourt. That's a good team. You know, it's a good, no, no, no. Yeah, no. Yeah. And they are a good team. Don't get me wrong. Right. Like this, this is a very good team. Um, it, it's just that at a certain point, we do have to kind of go away from they have more talent than everyone because I don't necessarily know that that's true anymore. I'm not necessarily convinced. I mean, this, for instance, Oregon right now is incredibly talented. They're flying way under the radar. Um, and I think we've seen more from their front court pieces and we've seen enough from their back court to really be like, okay, that's a, 
that team could be potentially more talented than Kentucky going down the stretch at least. You yeah, know what I, I mean? I, yeah, no, I hear you. I've got Oregon now 12th in the top 25 and one. They really have, uh, you know, they, they've got it rolling right, right now. Last night beat the um, hell out of Colorado, right? And uh, I think yeah. that was their, was that their second win over Colorado? I think they did. No, they actually dropped their first their one, game. They lost the first one right at Colorado. Yeah. So like, but they're rolling now. And um, I think they're third in the RPI. They've got like seven top 50 RPI wins. Now they've got some losses outside of the top 50. They got seven top 50 RPI wins. They got some losses outside of the top 50, maybe three, I think. Uh, but still like Dana's got that team operating at a high level. They look like they're uh, the class of the Pac-12 right now. Unless of course, Southern California <laughs> is the class of the Pac-12 after sweeping UCLA and getting their uh, first sellout at the Galen Center, I think since uh, 2011. Like uh, Andy Enfield, listen, you look at the, the weird thing about the Pac-12 this year, and Sam, you're way closer to this than I am, so I'll ask you. Sure. It looks like almost regardless of who you are, when you go on the road, like you do these little, the um, you know, the Utah-Colorado trip, the Arizona-Arizona State trip, the Washington mm-hmm. trip, the Oregon trip, almost regardless of who you are, you're, you're, you'd basically be willing to take a split. Like there's nowhere you can reasonably expect to, to sweep. Is that fair? Maybe Washington, um, maybe the Washington trip. Yeah, I would say the Washington trip, but then you look up and the Huskies are seven and three. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it, it's weird. I, I don't think that they're necessarily a seven and three team and they have uh, some really tough games down the stretch here. They have to go do the mountain trip. They have to go do the Oregon trip. Uh, and plus they have Cal and Stanford still coming. Uh, it's and plus they have Arizona this weekend. So it, it, Washington's a weird team. I would ex- I would say that if you're one of the top teams, you could probably expect to, you would hope get the, uh, get the full on win, uh, get the full sweep of a pair of games there. But then again, I mean, you look at what USC did. I mean, USC ended up dropping that game to Washington early in the season where, uh, they were up by like 15 or 20. Mm -hmm. I want to say it was on maybe new year's eve it was right i think it was right after new year's actually like, maybe new year's it was that day? week it was the weekend after new year's day like that sunday maybe mm, no it's, i'm looking now we're in, yeah you're right you're right yeah it was that sunday um it, it's a it's a weird conference this year because the talent is so uh bunched together but i think that we're starting to see oregon kind of play itself as a step above everyone followed by USC and Arizona in a lot of ways. I think Arizona is still going to be there whenever it comes down to it. Um, and Utah is also right there with Arizona. Sure. So, I mean, Washington has been a really nice story. It wouldn't surprise me if they kind of dropped off a little bit, but I think we're still looking at like a 500 Washington Washington team in the league, which is an awesome accomplishment for Lorenzo Romar. Don't get me wrong, but it's, I think that, Oregon and USC are the two most talented teams in the league at the moment. And we're starting to see that kind of bear itself out. And then Arizona's just so disciplined and strong uh, under Sean Miller that they're going to be fine. So I woke up this morning and started working on the inside college hoops column where I sort of uh, go through the schedule and, you know, pick out some of the games that are most interesting or compelling or whatever. Uh, Norlander, am I right here? Uh, not a very interesting weekend in college basketball. I mean, I know things will happen and people will win and people will lose and mm. Buddy Hill will probably score 35, but like right. that, 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 that there, there doesn't seem to be that one game out there that you just go, Ooh, that's the one I got to be in front of a TV for. Is there? I agree. And uh, I guess 
good things, bad things. I mean, good things that college basketball on, on football's down weekend last weekend had a really nice weekend overall that brought attention. And now with the Super Bowl happening Sunday, I mean, the sport almost never there's usually like in a not like CBS has the Super Bowl this year. So usually in the two years when CBS doesn't have the Super Bowl, there's usually one decent Big Ten game on before the Super Bowl starts. But usually that Sunday doesn't really give us too much in terms of the schedule overall. But it is. I mean, sometimes you just can't help it. The way the schedule will fall and what teams are good in the matchups that have been predetermined months in advance, you just get a crappy weekend. We kind of have that. I'm looking outside at my window right now, and out of nowhere, uh, we've gotten five inches of snow. I'm supposed to go to Columbia at Yale, which within the Ivy is a really good game for Friday night because those are the two teams most likely to come out of that league and, and, and rep the league in the NCAA tournament. Um, but on Saturday, I mean, the game day game is UNC at Notre Dame. Demetrius Jackson's back. That could be interesting. Like if, if you, you, we say right now Notre Dame beats Carolina by 10, well, it's compelling because then what's happening with UNC, which a week ago was the team that I think most people looked at, even over Oklahoma, and saying, no, that's the most reliable team. That's the most talented team. That's the best team in the country. Um, no shame, I guess, in losing at Louisville the way it did. It wasn't a blowout. You know, It wasn't a great game, but, but a good win for Louisville that it needed. But if Carolina does lose at Notre Dame, then I think we'll have to really step back and reset our evaluations on, on, the, on the heels because they'll have then lost two games uh, with Paige in, you know, in the lineup. Actually, three games because Paige was back for the Texas game, right? I'm trying to think. I think he was back. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah was he, back, he was back. Didn't have Meeks in that game. Yeah, but they, they you know, that. like, listen, I, that'll be the reaction. Like, oh my God, Carolina's lost two straight. It'll be a loss at Louisville and a loss at, at Notre Dame. Like, it won't. It yeah, won't, I know. It, yeah, it won't yeah, freak yeah, me no, out. It's not as much as freak most I, And I, by the way, I would still consider even if, like, I'll tell you right now, even if Carolina got blasted, and that's not going to happen. But if they lost by twenty, I would still consider them among my three or four sure. most likely NCAA tournament champions, just because, uh, honestly, of the of the talent and the roster they have right now. I wouldn't be. Uh, too pushed off of that. I am intrigued by um, Michigan State having the road game at Michigan. Michigan doesn't have Levert, so if they had Levert, it would be a better game. But um, if Michigan State loses there, they're going to really probably hurt themselves come seeding. And then Purdue can do itself a lot of good with the selection committee if it can win at Maryland. And then, of course, that would also <laughs> Maryland would lose another. Uh, opportunity against a, a good team, you know, a top 40 RPI kind of, kind of team. So Maryland needs that to kind of keep its hopes alive for a number one overall seed. But you are right. On the whole, it's not a great weekend. I would say watch Iowa State for upset alert at Oklahoma State. Um, Iowa State's going to – I think Iowa State's going to end up having this fascinating resume because they're going to have wins over teams that will be ones or two seeds in all likelihood – and then they're going to have a lot of losses, and so it's going to be a matter of where you're going to place them. And I think they'll be a dangerous team no matter what. And I think by the time we get to Selection Sunday with Iowa State, they're going to be – I'm going to guess they end up with the four seed just because of how many losses they have. they still got a lot of away games. They probably won't win the Big 12 tournament. I think they're just going to land on that four line. And I think they'll be a very popular four seed to upset whatever the one is in that bracket because people like to go against the grain when it comes to that kind of stuff and and they're definitely very fascinating team but you're right in terms of the weekend overall it's not a great college hoops weekend but i think the one after that and as we you know as we get closer to margin urgency becomes more of a thing and now people are paying more attention to bubble teams and all that stuff well we get more invested in the games themselves kind of just you know the schedule helps itself out also this weekend purdue at maryland with maryland uh, having an opportunity to get just its third top 50 rpi win of the season right now they have two that's it 
Nobody else ranked in the AP top 10 has, uh, you know, everybody else has at least three, everybody. They only have two. So um, it, it, I don't think it's uh, an indication of, of what they are. Um, I just think it's a it's a representation of the schedule that they played to date, but um, they still you know wouldn't be bad to add some quality wins. This is an opportunity with Purdue coming in. That's a top twenty five AP team. That's a top twenty five RPI team. Florida at Kentucky. We talked about the Wildcats at the top, but I looked it up earlier today. They haven't lost and uh, at Rupp. Kentucky hasn't since February twenty seventh, two thousand fourteen. It's an overtime loss to Arkansas. They've won 32 straight inside Rupp since then. They've been the two Final Fours since then. They've uh, had eight players drafted since then. But, like, Michael White's got Florida playing better. Like, they, they beat West Virginia last weekend, obviously. Like, beat their brains in. And then um, earlier in the season, like, Florida's resume's always been interesting because they, they're, like, right there. You know, they didn't really have the quality wins, but they were, they're playing people close. They played a single-digit game on the road at Michigan State. They played a single-digit game on the road at Texas A&M. So, listen, Kentucky's going to be favored, and I think Kentucky will win. But um, their their home winning streak is at least um, somewhat in jeopardy with Florida coming in. Right, Sam? Or no? Um, yeah, I would say so. Florida defends really well. Uh, and anytime that you can get a team that has a top-10 defense coming to town, uh, they can just kind of shut you down. Mike White's a really smart guy. He can kind of find a way to probably – slow down those guards in a lot of ways. And the big men, I mean, again, we keep talking about it, but uh, Kentucky's big men need to kind of produce in a lot of ways. And, you know, Alex Poitras probably won't have the, you know, terrific matchup that he had against Tennessee because Dorian Finney-Smith actually matches up really well with him. Uh, he, he's the kind of guy that can both body him and uh, move away from the basket and uh, score against him. So, uh, you know, it's going to come down to, whether or not Florida's guards can match up with uh, Kentucky's guards. I mean, Casey Hill and Chris Chioza aren't necessarily like the, the greatest guards in the world. Kevon Allen's a really nice freshman who's had a good season scoring the basketball, but uh, he's still a freshman. So if, if Florida's guards can match up really, uh, uh, you know, at least substantively, substantively, uh, wow. Again, guys, just woke up. Sorry. No, good try. Good try. You, took, you, you, took, you took a good run at it. Yeah, really. We'll come yeah. back again tomorrow. <laughs> um, if they can match up decently with uh, Kentucky's guards, I think that Florida will have a, cho- a shot. But this is still uh, young guards in Rupp Arena, and that never is a recipe for success. So last night I uh, traveled down to FedEx Forum in Memphis, Tennessee, to see the UConn Huskies um, uh, play the University of Memphis Tigers. And boy, oh boy, did it get out of hand in the second half. UConn won by 20. Memphis just quit. How about this? 18 18- of UConn's final 21 points. There was so much going on. I don't know if you guys watched it. 18 of their final 21 points, UConn, layups or dunks. Layups or dunks. I mean, it was bad. suboptimal. Like, it uh, it was ugly. Like, they quit. The the team quit. The one thing you could say about this Memphis team all season is like, hey, they're they're competing. They're playing hard. Like, they quit on their embattled coach last night. So I wrote a little bit about this. And I've known for a while what the buyout is for Josh Pastner's contract. He's got four years after this guaranteed fully, no way around it, $2.65 million per year for a total of $10.6 million. Do you realize that if Memphis had to buy, decides to buy him out at the end of this year, it will be the highest paid buyout in the history of college basketball? Is that staggering? <laughs> It'd be the highest paid in the history. Nobody's ever done more. I think Charlie Weiss got more from Notre Dame to go away, right? Um, 
but I because I, I think it's like in excess of 15 million is what Notre Dame had to pay Charlie Wise to fire him. But for Josh Pat, now I don't know if Memphis is going to, like, I don't know if Memphis has money. I don't know if they're going to do it. I mean, I can tell you my understanding is uh, certain parts of the administration uh, want a coaching change. Some of the money people don't. And if the money people don't, then you got a money problem. So, but, but like, this is true. If they decide to make a coaching change, it will be the biggest buyout ever paid to a college basketball coach. What in the world? Is that amazing? It's a okay. Like this is, this could be turning point stuff. It's it's so, it's so much money. Okay, it's outlandish, and we're not getting back into this discussion with you two. We're saving that for the phone. Oh, by yeah, no, we will save that for another time. But I had a, a lengthy conversation with an agent last night about long term contracts and coaching, uh, and I said, you know what, I should do a study on this is what I told him. I said I should actually look at coaches' long term contracts and like do a study, like an extensive study on how often they work out in favor of the school and how often they work out in favor of the coach. And you know what the agent said to me? Could I pay you not to do that? <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he said, I don't, want, I don't want athletic directors to realize how badly they usually screw themselves with these long-term deals. Well, like, and we can get into passing for a, a little bit here if you want, but let's, like, realistically, if we were to put a percentage on it, given the – the real life issues that surround getting him out of that program. And I understand fans and GP, you're probably going to have one of your highest rated radio shows of the season this afternoon, just because of the nature of that loss uh, and you, you know, being based in Memphis and doing everything there. So, but uh, I mean, is this, is this even approaching a 50, 50 proposition at this point, or is the money something that's so huge to overcome? Cause let's also remember, it's not just that, but then it's you, you're going to bring someone in, and it, that's not necessarily going to be on the cheap. The fans w- will not accept uh, a no-name assistant coming in and taking over the reins of that program for a million a year. We know that that's not going to be the, what's going to happen with whoever replaces Josh. No, right. And the way the contract is worded, they don't have to pay. It's not a lump sum, 10.6. They just have to pay $2.65 million. They have to keep paying him for the next four years. So basically, um, they have to pay $2.65 million. But they also assuming you go got hire another head coach from somewhere, you got to pay that person's buyout. And for the Memphis fans listening, um, Bruce Pearl's buyout at Auburn, it's $4 million. So like, just keep that in mind before you start dreaming of Bruce Pearl painting his chest blue and, and uh, come to FedEx forum. Like he has four and, and he already makes in excess of $2 million. So like when you start talking about, you got to pay $2.65 million to make your current coach go away. Then you got to pay a buyout to get your next coach. Then you got to pay that guy. Uh, I'm assuming in ex- in excess of two million dollars a year. Um, I mean, it really starts to stack up. And you know, I don't have to tell you guys, but Memphis isn't in the SEC or the mm-hmm. uh, Big Ten. Like they don't have that kind of money coming in from their conference. It is um, um, they don't they don't have the money to do this. And that's why I think the casual Memphis fan just thinks that like. Listen, this can't continue. Last night was the first twenty-point home loss since nineteen ninety-nine. Like it, it's, it's two, since two years before John Calipari arrived. Tick Price was the coach. Um, the attendance is way down. Like I think uh, last night for did UConn, they set, well, did, was it last night's a big game. It's UConn. Eight thousand people. Man, that's that's hideous. They used to get eighteen thousand for Tulane. Eighteen thousand for East Carolina. So uh, so this is basically it's going to come first. Let me. From a strictly, like, I've had a bunch of people ask me the question, does Memphis have the money to do this? No. The very simple answer, no, they do not have the money to do this. But at some point, they're going to start weighing 
the cost of keeping Josh against the cost of removing Josh. In other words, what happens when 4,000 people don't renew season tickets next year, either to protest or just out of simple lack of interest? Um, you know, they have a nice deal. You know, the Grizzlies run FedEx Forum and they have a nice deal with the Grizzlies, but there is an attendance um, actual like turnstile number that they have to hit on average per home game or else they have to pay a penalty to the Grizzlies. And just trust me, they're going to have to like they ain't going to hit it going forward. Uh, like as long as things are like this. So there's more money. It, it's a co- it's a complex issue, but it is. um it's 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 amazing, and I don't know that we've ever talked about this before, but it's all rooted in. Um, after he went to an NCAA tournament, USC came after him when they hired Andy Enfield. They came after Josh, and the administration at Memphis panicked and thought they had to lock him up because he had a top twenty team coming back and a top five recruiting class getting ready to enroll. And so Memphis's perspective was. Oh my God, we got this guy. He's bright. He's young. He's hardworking, blah, blah, blah. And he's got a top 20 team coming back in a top five recruiting class getting ready to enroll. We can't lose him. Whereas the smart thing would have been um, we got a guy who's got a top 20 team coming back in a top five recruiting class getting ready to enroll. I bet you he won't walk away from it. Like, mm-hmm. wh- like why not daring to walk? Like, like okay, you want to go take a historically inferior job? And first off, like USC, he could like I think Andy makes one point eight million. USC was never going to pay two point six five. So I don't even know where the two point six five came from. That's just dumb. Like if you really thought you had to lock him up for and give him a raise, you could have probably taken it to two and been fine. I don't know how they got the two point six five because even if it were just two now, it'd only be an eight million dollar buyout as opposed to a ten point six million dollar buyout. So I don't know how they got the two point six five. But a more savvy athletic director would have probably said, "Hey, listen, we're going to give you a raise and we're going to give you some more years." And if you think it's not enough, um, yeah, walk away from this team. I bet you we won't have a hard time finding a coach to take over a top 20 team. So if that's what you think you need to do, um, then knock yourself out and just dare him to to leave. Because most coaches do not walk away from top 20 teams with top five recruiting classes getting ready to enroll. They just It, it doesn't typically happen. So the Memphis administration just played it from the wrong angle um, in a in a spectacularly embarrassing way, and now they're paying for it. I mean, like like literally paying for it. It's gonna, yeah, yeah it's bad. Yeah, I, I will say this. I mean, you, you bring up a good point with salary. Like the uh, last time we had this discussion, I just I told you that like you know market economics come into play here, and eventually uh, things are just gonna keep rising and keep rising. Yeah, that was stupid to give Josh Passner two point six million dollars. Right. Well, like the there, t- there was no circumstance where he was gonna get that on the open market. Nowhere, even if USC offered him a contract. Like they couldn't, USC was never going to go much above two. Like I talked to somebody connected to that whole thing. They say the most USC would have gone is probably around 2.2. Okay, fine. Then offer him 2.2. Like if you really think you've got to match USC, which you didn't have to match USC, because again, is he going to go try to rebuild USC or just, or come back and, and, and like, it's not just rebuild it, uh, USC. Think about it in these terms, move his family, you know, like sell his house. Like it's it, cost of living. That's the other thing. You know what the cost of living in is Memphis as opposed to L.A.? Like factor that in. You could have probably offered him $2 million and said, if you don't think that's enough, um, you, you yeah, you should take the USC job and walk away from this top 20 team. And he just wouldn't have done it. Like it was just a bad business play. And uh, and now here they are. At the time he signed the contract, $2.65 million. How about this? It was the ninth highest college basketball contract in the country making more than Jim Beheim, making more than Roy Williams. 
Yeah, it's, mm. that's not great. <laughs> um, not who great are thought. some candidates that could uh, be looking at this job, GP? Um, like realistic ones, like Bruce yeah. Pearl ain't happening, obviously. I don't think Bruce um, Pearl is happening, although they will take a run at that. Uh, I'm but, sure they will. He'll yeah. probably be their first call, but let's the, assume that that's not going to happen. They'll call Greg Marshall. That, that won't. I can't see that happening. Um, I can't even see them outpaying Wichita State at this point. Um, I mean, that's that's three point three million dollars a yeah, year on think, top of two point right. six. So that's yeah, not happening. I don't think they can do that. Um, they, you know, they'll fall in love with the idea of Archie Miller. And I would, too. But I'm not sure why you'd leave Dayton to, to go to Memphis. That would that would genuinely surprise me if Archie Miller left Dayton for Memphis. Right. Me, too. Yeah. I think Archie Miller leaves Dayton for the next big Archie. I think Archie's going to play it exactly like Shaka did. You know, like yeah, wait yes. for the wait for the A level job. You don't need to take the Memphis job. Wait for the um, I'm just throwing these out there. Um, wait for the Louisville job. Wait for the Carolina job. Wait for the Ohio State job. Wait for yeah. an A. Wait for an A level job, not not Memphis. So I, I would give Memphis fans the same advice I give most fan bases, unless you're like Texas or Kentucky or Carolina or Duke. Um, you know, outside of the maybe top seven, eight programs in America. Once your fans come up with their list of candidates, go ahead and go ahead and um, scratch through the first three or four names because yeah. th- those ain't the guys you're getting. M- more realistically, you'd be looking at um, Damon Stoudemire would get a look off of Memphis's bench. Uh-huh. Um, Jeff Capel would get a look off of mm. Duke's bench. Yeah, that's interesting. Andy Kennedy that's- would get a look out of Ole Miss. That might not be a bad move for him either. He would he would do that. I mean, why would, at some point, like just you got to get you know you can't stay somewhere as long as as long as he stayed there. Like it's amazing right. he's still the coach there. Like at some point, you know, Kevin Stallings might find this out pretty soon. Like you you if unless you're a Hall of Famer, you better bounce around every six, seven, eight years because the fan base gets they just get tired of you. So um, you know, Andy Kennedy, and Andy's done a great job there. Done, but like, like relative to, job. relative to his resources and relative to history, he's done an incredible job, and yet. The yeah. average Ole Miss fan, I think the smart Ole Miss fan understands that. The average Ole Miss fan doesn't appreciate that probably as much as they should. Um, so, like, that would be an odd. Here's the one that, if you haven't heard about it yet, you will you will hear about it if the job actually does open. And it is not as crazy as um, it might sound. Like, knowing the, the, the structure of Memphis and, and who pulls strings and who doesn't the name that you'll hear and that will have a lot of support and that it would not surprise me at all if it actually happened. Penny Hardaway. That's like interesting. You coach, right? Well, okay. He, <laughs> he has team Penny that he, he runs team yeah. Penny um, coaches the 17 and unders. He right now is coaching East high school in Memphis. He's a high school coach right now in Memphis. It's uh, not terrible. I mean, you have to see if he can actually run and operate a program. Well, at that's that the level. thing. I, mean, I, I it, don't hate it when he, when you say it. I don't hate it, especially the situation that they might be put in. It might be good uh, from a PR standpoint. It would be an immediate win. But you know, athletic directors, their job is not it's not to win the next four months. No. It's to win yeah. the next decade. No, like the, so. yeah. No, you know. Listen, like that, that. That's the ultimate question. Like, could he do the job? I don't know the answer to that. But if you are looking for an easy sell to to your fans to get them all excited and rallying around the new guy. Like that's, that is probably the best option. And you just sell it. Like Fred Hoiberg makes it an easy sell, you know, like, and he, that was by the way, so panned when that happened. I, it is probably the most wrong I've ever been about anything writing a column. Yeah. 
I wrote a lot the of people column. didn't like it though. A lot, a lot, a lot of people didn't like. It. They thought it was just a complete pander move, and Hoiberg had no experience whatsoever, and and now he's coaching the Bulls. I yeah, mean, it, no, it no, was it, an absolute. It worked. Home. It worked beautifully. I was one of the ones who wrote, "What are you doing?" In fact, if you go Google the column, and please don't, I don't want you to. But <laughs> Which you, means uh, everyone listening, please do. No, but I think there's a line in there. How about this? That actually says, what's next? Memphis hiring Penny Hardaway? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so incredible, and that will have to be linked if that ever comes to be. Um, GP, I want to bring up something real quick on the podcast here because I feel we should – because we have to get this done and out and sent. And after the, our podcast has been recorded, there's going to be some sort of news. We don't know what it is, but Louisville is going to have a 1.30 press conference with its president, with its athletic director, and with Patino. So, you know, no reason to really speculate here, but I, I simply think we should acknowledge that we see that this is happening. And for anyone that might be listening to this on uh, Saturday morning before basketball or late Friday night, we recorded it before all this happened. But um, clearly there is going to be some sort of significant news note. Like we're going to have, whatever it is, it'll be on our site. I don't know what it would be. Uh, you would have to think it is tied to, um, the scandal at the, at the school, but I, I didn't want to have us wrap up before mentioning that. Right. So. I would, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually just seeing that as I'm, as I'm looking right now. Um, I mean, not we, great. well, I mean, I don't know if it wouldn't be great. I mean, it's I don't a Friday in the afternoon. Yeah, well, that's true. I, although sometimes, like Sam, I think sometimes that's legit, and sometimes, like if if if, if that's the case, hold it at like four forty-five. I mean, this is one thirty. It's an internet age. People can turn around news, and people will, like you're not. It used to be like you know, ten fifteen years ago. Yeah, like a three o'clock news conference on a Friday. Legitimately, that was burying it because things had already gone to press. Sure. The weekend was coming. Now it's like when it comes out, it comes out. People are going to see it, and people are going to react to it. People get news on their phones. Um, but the uh, what's the phrase here? To deliver an important message to the community. So let's not even speculate yeah. because we'll probably look stupid in like the next two hours. So yeah, like, that's uh, true. we'll just leave it at that. Uh, Louisville is holding a press conference uh, this afternoon after we've recorded this podcast. And uh, for more details and the full story, make sure to check cbssports.com. <laughs> Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. Quickest way to get the latest episodes in your possession. So do that, please. And we will talk to you again um, on Sunday. Until then, peace.